Welcome to Let's Open the Box of Zen with Hitomi. Over the next hour, you will learn how to open, free your mind, and overcome the toughest challenges life throws your way on your path to achieving Zen. Now, here is your host, Hitomi. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining. Let's open the box of Zen. This is Hitomi. あなたを愛しています。I love you. Today, we will have my lovely friend, Annie Bien, as my guest, and she will share us how to cultivate unconditional love. Annie said, the most powerful thing is loving others. Unfortunately, in modern society, we are so easy to be swallowed by the force of the negative side of events, that produces fear or hatred. We need courage to transform these emotions into love. We discussed this point of fear in transition to love in last week's episode. If you missed it, please visit last week's show on voiceamerica.com. Hi, Annie. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to see you today. Nice to see you too. Thank you for joining. You look lovely. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Put on something not workout today. <laughs> oh, yes. Was, yes. That's right. We always have a training outfit. Yes. Yes. I am having my friend who I highly respect. Her name is Annie. She has many titles, I believe. Like even myself don't know all the titles. So would you please introduce yourself, who oh, yeah. you are? Certainly. My name is Annie Bien, and I'm a writer of fiction, poetry, and nonfiction. I've had two um, poetry collections published and some flash fiction, and a couple of books, uh, one book in particular that will soon be um, published, co-written by Dr. Robert Thurman. It's on one of the previous Dalai Lamas. And I also translate Tibetan Buddhist texts into English. And I teach meditation, uh, Buddhist meditation, early classes on beginning Buddhism for new students at the Shanti Deva Center in Brooklyn, New York. And I also write summary reports for 17th Karmapa Ugin Tinli Dorje. And I met Hitomi training for our Qigong certification. Yes, under Shifu Yande, who is a very tough teacher that trained, wasn't Yes, a fabulous teacher made us really strong. <laughs> oh, yes. From that experience, I really learned you are strong, the mind is strong to achieve the goal. How long have you been doing this meditation as a teacher? Um, I haven't been teaching that long, but I started practicing Tibetan Buddhism in 1997. So it's been a while. Um, and then... I really never had the confidence to teach, but I was asked, which was really nice. And I have, I've taught Pilates before. Mm -hmm. um, so I do like teaching a lot, particularly, um, I find that even though I get nervous about it, 
it's a good nervous because it's someone to teach and having students makes you think differently, makes you think not so much about yourself, but how to help and convey mm-hmm. to others, which mm-hmm. is beautiful. I really, really like that. And I feel like it's made me a stronger person. Mm-hmm. That's why I like um, studying with Shifu Yanle because he is very straightforward and telling me, talking to me about what he saw, observed, and how I needed to work, which was just exactly what needed, because I haven't had a teacher like that for a while. And I, mm-hmm. and I lost my Buddhist teacher in May of last year, who had taught me for 21 years. So oh, wow. it was very, it's, it's been a really good time, however, mm-hmm. um, since then, just to take into account everything mm-hmm. that I learned and how I want to continue. Is that why you chose the topic of love? From the list, you know, I had a, a many topics on the list and you chose like right away, love. Is it the part of reason? Oh, yes, definitely. I think because there was a phase when I didn't know what it meant because I was feeling very lost. And then um, when I started studying Buddhism, a lot of things started to open up for me. And I feel like we just need love in the world right now. The world is in such a calamitous state. And people mm-hmm. seem to be um, allowed right now to be divisive and hateful. Mm-hmm. And somehow they feel like it's making them uh, more famous and strong or whatever. But it's, it's such a misunderstanding of our whole purpose of life. Mm-hmm. And when you understand and when you finally experience what it feels like to be loved and to love someone unequivocally, it is totally different. It mm-hmm. makes your life totally different. You feel you feel confident in yourself and in mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. And, and I think um, teaching has helped me with that. Um, being married has helped me with that. And um, meeting this teacher who became like my father, because my father died when I was 20. And so he had, my father had offered me as much as he could up until he passed away. And I felt very lost then. And that was the sort of the familial love that um, I really, really missed from him. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's in all of my writing. It's in how I relate to people now but very different from when I was a kid. So I think clear up until pretty recently, my understanding of love was very one-sided. And and I was always searching for it uh, in terms of whether I was lovable or whether I could love someone and always having this um, uncertainty about that. So... I think that's the reason why I I chose that topic, because for a long time, I've always been writing about love in different ways, um, about the longing for it or the loss of it, uh, what it feels when you first experience it. But now it's changed. It's I feel like it's um, it's deeper now because I'm learning how to love others more openly so it can work towards being unequivocal towards people mm. and other beings. Um, it's, it's hard, but it's so gratifying. One of 
the things my teacher, Chung Lerman Pache, said to me once when my mother was sick and um, I had to go take care of her for a week. And I said, I'm afraid that I won't know how to take care of her. And he said, oh, you, you'll know exactly what to do. You just be that good Buddhist you are in your heart. You don't have to tell anyone what you're doing. And you may be surprised. Wow. And it was the anonymity of what he was telling me. And like, it's like, it's your secret to know how to be loving. Mm. You don't have to tell anyone what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You just think what it would be like. I remember thinking, what would it be like to, to see my mother smile when she doesn't mm-hmm. feel well? Mm-hmm. And the near the, the middle of the trip with my mom, one day she said to me, you know something? You've gotten really nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> she said, I don't know what, what happened, you know, <laughs> what happened, but you're really nice. But I think it's because you become Buddhist. I know that they say, love all living beings like your mother. Mm. And she said, I really like that. So um, will you teach me a mantra? So I called my teacher. I was like so excited. And he gave me uh, the mantra of the female Buddha, Tara, which is a healing mantra. And the only uh, Buddha in the pantheon that declared she would always come back as a woman. to mm. be to, And it's to help you when you're ill. And if you have fear that you invoke Tara and then she will help you. So I taught my mom that mantra. I wrote it down and she said, oh, I think I know this mantra and uh, with a Chinese accent. Really? And she said, yeah, yeah. During World War II, I was at your dad's house. She was. uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but your mom is Chinese? Yes, she's Chinese. Chinese. I'm Chinese. Yeah. So my mom. she said, I know this mantra. I chanted it with your dad's father during World War II when we were hiding. Oh. And she said it. And yes, it was. And it did sound like a Chinese accent, like a different dialect. And I said, yeah, that's it. So then she said, I'm going to give you something. And she gave me all of my father's Buddhist practice materials. From when oh, he- wow. It gave me chills. <laughs> oh, I, wow. I, I, never, I never knew that he had them to start with. I knew that <laughs> she didn't think he should share it with us because he couldn't define what Buddhism was in a sentence. And so she thought mm-hmm. we needed an American religion because we were in America. Okay. But- so were you born in America, U.S.? Yeah, I was born in Hong Kong. I was a baby when I came over. I was like 18 months old. But grew up in America, learned culture, mm-hmm. American culture. Mm-hmm. Spoke Chinese at home and and then English. Yeah, Wonderful. My, my parents said, you know, we'll keep speaking Chinese at home, but and we won't worry about your learning English because you'll learn it at school. Yes. <laughs> so that's uh-huh. how that happened. But um, yeah, I always I feel like as a kid, I felt very loved by my parents, even though they were very traditional and really strict. Mm-hmm. I always felt that I was safe with them. Mm-hmm. Even if my mom could be really tough with me, mm-hmm. I knew that she loved me, even mm-hmm. though she couldn't show it. And my dad was very, very loving all the time. Mm-hmm. He was not very healthy. Mm-hmm. So I think by the time I was born as the youngest one, he actually decided to give me 
all his love because he was mm-hmm. there. So, so wow. I think that very much influenced me too. Mm-hmm. And, so yeah. you have a good base. Yeah, I think so. Know the love, especially the family love, parents, yeah. mom and dad, because, you know, some people, unfortunately, didn't receive enough love. Nowadays, no. it's, uh, yeah, really sad, but uh, sometimes mother hurt your own child. Or yeah. Um, So, yeah, yes, you were raised in such a lovely environment. That um, makes me wonder why you felt like you didn't know love at a certain time. I, I felt that because going to school in the United States was really hard. <laughs> I didn't experience. Oh, you didn't? Yeah. Memory, yeah. So. It was very racist where I grew yeah. up. Really? And, yeah. I grew up in, at that time, first I started out in California in Bakersfield, which was my dad had a nice boss, so we didn't really feel it. But we moved to, to Southern California, Los Angeles, Covina, which now is is ironically a very, very Asian community. But at that time, it was not. And the only other Asian kid in school was a Japanese girl. And the two of us, she was very pretty. So they were quite nice to her. But they, they always pretended to shoot me. (gasps) Call me a Jap zero, like with a machine gun. Oh, my goodness. You know, it was, um, it was in, in, in the 60s that I was going to school there and it was not that long after World War II so a lot of the little kids I went to school with they were really you know they didn't know they just didn't know I had a couple of friends but it I didn't like going to school it was very scary but the only thing I was lucky was that that I could draw and Mm -hmm. so I would draw pictures of um Snoopy from the my all of a sudden everyone wanted to be my friend because they wanted a copy of the Snoopy so I thought I I actually became a little sneaky because I thought well that person was mean to me I'm just gonna make them wait a little to draw (laughs) (laughs) but I'd always draw and give them the picture and they'd be really friendly but (laughs) it's kind of it's a funny funny the things you you find yourself doing, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but then, then by the time I was going to start, um, before junior high school, we moved up to Palo Alto, which is in Northern California, very progressive community Mm -hmm. uh, near Stanford University. And there are a lot of Asian kids there. Mm -hmm. And then I really felt comfortable that I was not strange anymore, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it had, it's, Definitely, it's had its marks over the years because I became suspicious mm. of people and their motivations. And mm. also, because of it being so racist, I realized that I had a very, very negative response to how people started talking to me. I was always quite skeptical of their motivations mm-hmm. and everything. And, and actually, the reason why I really took to to heart wanting to practice Tibetan Buddhism was because of the Dalai Lama that my husband and I were having troubles during our marriage and I was feeling in great despair Mm -hmm. and crying and one day a book fell off the shelf 
And it was um, the, the one that I bought of the Dalai Lama's where it's called Kindness, Clarity and Insight. And it had this beautiful photo of him on the cover smiling. So I bought the book for that photo thinking, oh, I'll read it. And then I'll know all about Buddhism. <laughs> and I opened the book and I couldn't understand any of it. I, it was so hard. I thought I, the translators who did the book for him was quite academic. So I couldn't understand most of it. I put it away. But that day, the book fell off the shelf. And I thought, well, maybe I can understand it now because it was a few years I had. I opened the book to a random page and it's and pointed my finger to, you know, close my eyes and pointed my finger to a line, opened my eyes. And it said, if you are ever feeling very fearful, place your head in the Buddha's lap. Wow. And it was so beautiful that I actually fell asleep for a while and I felt much comforted by it. So then I thought I'd like to study Buddhism. I am quite sure it's going to help me. And I think that's something that I really learned from Buddhism, that not only is it a beautiful way to try to learn to love people unequivocally, it is so much more relaxing for everyone. Because if you know that someone needs you to prove that you like them all the time, it's exhausting and you know it's not right. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, I can tell, oh, they didn't like what I said. Oh, oh, now I have to make them feel better. And Mm -hmm. I felt like that. I experienced a lot of that as a Mm -hmm. kid growing Mm -hmm. up. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though my mother was loving, she was difficult, but I didn't understand what was going on with her. And Mm -hmm. later on, I realized she had depression. Mm. I didn't know it, you know, and so I felt like sometimes I was not making her happy, but Mm. I didn't understand that there you can actually kind of find out by asking Mm. them, are you okay? Mm. And then that can open the doors Mm. a lot of times for you. It's really important to try and convey love in whatever way you can, meaning that you hope that whenever you have contact with someone else, that both of you can leave this experience feeling happy and good about things. I think that's one of the major reasons our point being alive here. We will be right back after the short break. Let's open a box of Zen. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. We often hear the word Zen. But what exactly is Zen? The answer is as endless as a bottomless box. The base of a Zen philosophy is a mind capable of fresh thinking, one that is free, not trapped. Tune in to Let's Open the Box of Zen with your host, Hitomi, to explore how to let go of life's toughest challenges and find your Zen. Let's Open the Box of Zen Mondays at 12 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Let's Open the Box of Zen with Hitomi. Have a question for Hitomi or her guests? 
Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. It's that. It's not trying to make trouble. And then there's this Buddhist saying that it's definite that we all want individually want happiness. And we all individually do not want to suffer. Any living being has that same feeling. So what's going on? It's because we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to be happy and not suffer. We usually don't have the tools. I'm going to be a devil's advocate. Yes. Uh The way to say it. Everybody's different. The way you present love, like some of them could be by your action. Some could be uh, like a gift and you feel love. So it's like a different. So I understood that. And I think it's very beautiful to every each different communication, bring your love. But because the difference of how you produce love or accept or receive, your way of love might not be make other people happy. And it happens sometimes. Like I'm doing yeah. something from my passion, from my love, but the, it's just like a block and I get hurt, right? Yeah, I definitely have had that. But I think what it is that I've started to understand recently is that whenever we meet someone, each individual has a perception of what that other person is instantaneously almost because we have these perceptions that we've grown up with. There's a a Buddhist practice that you are supposed to try in order to gain a little bit more experience about being able to be with another person without being judgmental. You are supposed to regard a person that you really love, a person that you really have a hard time with, and it makes you angry and maybe even hate them. And then there's a person who's neutral that you might be have no feeling, love or hate. Well, the first time I did that, I couldn't imagine anyone who I didn't have a feeling about. Even a stranger on the street, almost instantaneously, you have an opinion. Oh, God. oh, I like that. Oh, no. yes. uh, mm, ah. oh, you know this. And so... What do you work with for that? Then you know that it's not about the other person. It's about you. It's your perception. But a lot of times if you talk to a person, maybe someone's been really incredibly rude to you. Mm -hmm. Just offhand. I remember someone, one woman saying to me once, your hair is so long, it's so dirty. You know, it's going to touch my jacket. Can Mm -hmm. you just move it? You know, we're sitting on the subway. You know, it's bothering me. So I moved it. And then I realized later on, she was having a really hard time with something. She was really having a hard time. I also remember going into my doctor's office once before having a surgery, not meeting him yet. And every time the door opened, all his patients would look like this. And Mm -hmm. him thought, wow, who is this person? And then he opened the door and he smiled. Hi, everyone. Sorry, I'm late. Everyone's like, oh, Dr. Carvalon, it's you. How are you? I don't know, no problem. I thought, oh, I really want this person to be my doctor. 
And the difference with that and the person who's doing this. Complained about your hair. Yeah. Everything's about herself. Yeah. And when you meet someone like that, they're not going to be open to you mm -hmm. and you don't expect anything back from them. When I try to think of being loving to everyone doesn't mean I'm trying to persuade them to think like me mm -hmm. and see that each person has their own approach to things. And you can see it right away when someone's kind of shut or suspicious, because I was like that. I was very much like that for years. I mean, you didn't do nothing wrong when you were in school. Yeah, young age. Just because you are being an Asian, those kids did mean to you. That's, I mean, I, it, that's, you are not doing anything wrong just being you. That actually very hard lesson for kids to see the doubt or. And, and my parents actually didn't know how to deal with that at all because they um, came from China, you know, so yes. they, they were learning too. And it was a terrible shock. But on the other hand, now I feel like it stood me in really good stead because instead of getting angry about that, practicing Buddhism, I'm pretty new at it. I have met the Tibetan lamas and I really feel moved by how kind they are and how It doesn't matter who it is. They, they know just what to say to make them feel better. How can I be a compassionate person if I hate my heritage at that point? That says that I hate it. I don't like what the Chinese are doing to the Tibetans or in the world, the government. It's terrible. And I don't like how it makes me feel. Then how can I be compassionate? And he said to me, well, I appreciate your sentiment. But if you really are practicing Buddhism, you will understand that your ethnicity is like a flavor, something you bring into mm. with you. Mm. But compassion is a universal emotion, and that is the wish to remove the suffering of other beings. And, and then, so why not practice trying to learn as much as you can about yourself and your family and your heritage? And appreciate it. And he said, and then you can talk to other people in a different way. Get to really know where you come from, all of that. And then little by little, talk to your friends and your relatives. He said, you could change things because how can the Tibetans go back to their own homeland if they can't be friends with the Chinese? Was his first question. And secondly, he said, remember Mahatma Gandhi. He said, just even a small step has the potential to change all of mankind. That changed everything for me because he said something that I had not thought of in another way. And it's been a very long journey in a certain way. And in other ways, it's, it's been really fast. You know, I, I remember once he said, He says, I think of my spiritual progress in terms of decades. And I thought, decades? Yeah, because <laughs> I think of all these people. At that point, I had friends who had practiced for two years, and I thought two years was a long time. But now I understand what he's saying. It takes a long time to mm -hmm. learn to be open to other beings, to mm -hmm. learn to accept that someone's having a really hard time, and that's why they're being the way they are. Or they've mm -hmm. had a very difficult 
life for a long time and the way they've been surviving is, is in this very mm-hmm. closed down way or angry way or mm-hmm. spiteful way or you see them like that all the time. Mm-hmm. A lot of times now if, I, if I'm around someone who's having a, a big tantrum of some kind or saying really terrible things to someone else, I, all I can think is I'm really glad I'm not in their head. It's going to be, it's so miserable for them right now. And I also don't have to engage or be involved with that. If someone is not going to be open the way I say hello to them or something, that's okay. I don't have to make them like me. I don't have to persuade anyone that, you know, I'm going to be nice to them or I want to be loving to them. I don't need to do that. All I have to do. I, I think if you want to change someone, uh, that's already ego, isn't it? Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. If you, I mean, when you think of it, who are you the most familiar with and know everything about? Me. Yeah. <laughs> You're 24 hours a day, like with yourself. So the, the only one you can really change is yourself. And so no matter if someone's not going to accept your loving behavior or think you're stupid, that's all right. That's where they're at right now. And I don't, that's okay. I remember there was this one Lama Chogyam Trumpa who said, you know, every single being loves something, even though they may be like nasty, mean, and horrible to others. So maybe they love potato chips. Well, that's good. You know, there's one thing, there's one thing that they really like. So, you know, they're capable of it. And I think we tend to, we live in the society that is, has a poverty mentality where you're shown all the time on commercials that you're not good enough because you don't have this. Uh, things could be better if you bought that. You know, if you just got this next iPhone, you're, you're going to be so much happier. And so everyone has this kind of neediness. And I think a lot of times that neediness is very present. And when you meet someone that you th- think you're falling in love with, and then you realize that there's a lot of conditional stuff going on. If he does this, then that'll be okay. If he doesn't, it won't be. Or if she does that, you know, and you're not listening to me, then everything is in terms of the person's ego. Like you have to fall into all, even when you read these dating sites and I'm looking for someone that's, you know, this, this, and this. And if you did that, you're going to be perfect. Well, that's crazy to me. You know. That- <laughs> I think that's quite a bit of why now I feel much less bothered. It's helpful to be older, too. I feel much less bothered when someone's not nice. You know, it's like, okay, you're having a bad day. I'm just going to step back. If if it's someone that I care a lot about who's in a really bad mood, mm-hmm. then we talk about it. Like what caused it, what started it. And a lot of times, especially with relationships, it's that moment when you realize you've had a, you've, you've blown up with each other and, you know, had a fight. It doesn't last as long because you recognize the, the characteristics of it right away. And then it's learning to back down and say, okay, you, cause you, that's when you really feel your own sense of self and to the point of, of, huge ego like how dare he speak to me like that or whatever it's well he did you know and if there was a reason something you said didn't help the situation diminish 
I think that's one of the things a lot of times people in relationships don't remember that there are two people in it. When you have a conflict, it's not just solely one person or the other. It's how you go down that route. And if you rewind it and go backwards, you'll suddenly notice that, oh, it was this trigger, this old behavior that made things go sour. Seeing if you can pick up again and be sincere about trying to pick it up again. Like my husband and I've been together now. We're going to be together for 46 years this year and married for 46 years. My view. You guys are such a happy couple all the time. So I was quite shocked that you yeah. even had the period. Yeah. You didn't go well. We had to, I think we had to go all the way down like that in order to decide to realize that there is something mm-hmm. there. Because I think when we both thought, okay, it's done, we laughed. And then I thought, oh, actually, we both agreed on something. <laughs> 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 maybe, maybe we have to try. And then we decided to. That was the hardest part is trying to rebuild the relationship mm-hmm. in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be, cause I think often when you're together for a long time, people drift apart mm-hmm. because you, enough time has elapsed that you develop in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if the other person's not doing the same thing as you. Mm-hmm. Or thinking the same way, it's really can can be really really hard unless you're able to share it, you know, and not be competitive about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that I loved my teacher Chilin Rinpoche for was the first thing he asked me when I went to study with him, and it was just around the a little two years after we were having a really hard time, we were back together again and trying. That he said to me, my teacher said, "So, are you married?" And I said, "Yes." And he said. Are you Buddhist? Is he a Buddhist too? And I said, no. He goes, okay, don't be weird. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was, it was incredible. You know, it was so incredible. He said that because it was so true. You know, you don't want to try to be so strange. And he speaks the same language. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. It was so profound, his saying that. Wow, yes. It it was just like him saying to me, you'll know what to do with your mom. Good Buddhist you are. And he was really an example to me of unequivocal love because he Mm. never said that much. But every time he would have this little nugget of advice. Mm -hmm. When I first started teaching I was nervous and I had a friend who was also first starting to teach a beginning Buddhism class in the new school. And he said, Oh, I, I need a high lama to help give me a blessing. My teacher was very, very well known in the Tibetan community because he was the Dalai Lama's debating uh, partner, Dalai Lama's Geshe Larampa degree, getting his highest certification uh, to be a teacher before he left Tibet, and my teacher was his first debating partner. And I said, well, this is my friend, and we are both going to start teaching, and we'd like some of your advice and a blessing if you're able to. And he took our hands, and he squeezed my hand, and he said, be patient. I thought it was an incredible thing, because you have to be patient with yourself and with your students and with your ability to teach. It was very, very profound. When I first started translation, I was very scared because I thought, oh, maybe I 
working part-time, maybe a bit off more than I can chew. And I was studying at Columbia University and I got into the graduate PhD class. And um, my teacher said, so how was your class? And I said, it's really, really hard. And he said, what are you studying? And I said, I'll show it to you. And he looked at the text and he said, oh, I know this. And there was another Lama there at that time. He said, why don't we recite a little bit of it um, for Annie? And, and so he took the my text and he went like that. And then they recited it. And he said, okay, you're going to be all right. Just stay with the text. Don't get distracted. The Buddha's words will tell you everything you need to know. And I went home and I thought, all of a sudden I could translate a little bit of it. <laughs> I think what I've learned from him is being able to, to love others comes from being able to have confidence, mm-hmm. like confidence and courage in yourself and believing that you can do it. And that's not selfish. That is learning how to be more selfless when you are like that. Um, I think it was in your notes talking about love and fear. Yes. Opposite yet, like sitting back to that. Yes. The opposite of love is hatred because it's very clear that you can't, you don't want to like someone. But fear was a really great thing to write there for me because I also actually wondered why fear was not included as one of your emotional, mental, negative problems in life. You don't want to, and how you perceive things like um, hatred, ignorance, too much desire having too much pride, having too much doubt, all of this kind of thing. But then I remembered that animals, and we haven't naturally, you feel like you're going into a bad situation and you stop. These physical responses that are very accurate, the fight or flight things. Mm -hmm. In the Buddhist teachings, my teacher, Bob Thurman, expressed that really well. I just wanted to read to you. He said, under normal circumstances, fear is not a problem which is why it's not listed among the mental afflictions. Fear is a healthy thing in general. It's awareness of danger. Fear is protective. It's what helps us to avoid wandering into a hungry lion's den. We will be right back after the show to break. Let's open a box of zen. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Read My Lips Radio, producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, invites you to eavesdrop on her live, unscripted conversations with smart, savvy, creative people as she discovers what makes them tick, where they find their inspiration, when creativity first became their passion, and how their creative process can inspire the rest of us to think out of the box. Enjoy, a.k.a. Radio Red's always lively, cool conversations with creatives. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Oh, how those lips can talk. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. 
Welcome back to Let's Open the Box of Zen with Hitomi. Have a question for Hitomi or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show. It alerts us to the fact that we're not aware of what we really are. We should be afraid of suffering, in fact. And then he goes on to say that it is possible to be free of suffering and to be alive. He said most people in America think that they won't have to be fearful when they die. But he said, why can't you learn to be fearless when you're alive? That's the ultimate of fearlessness. It's possible to be free from your own suffering. You can actually use that awareness that you have at a moment of feeling fearful that, oh, maybe that person doesn't like me. If I just let go of that Mm -hmm. fearfulness, it might actually relax the situation a little bit. I thought that was a really, your observation of that was very profoundly helpful to me. It made me think also, why do I get nervous before a test Mm. or a class? You know, that's a form of fear too, you know, like Mm -hmm. before teaching. Mm -hmm. And it's really just trying to assess where you are. If you have prepared the best you can, Mm -hmm. then you just do the best you can. In this way, I think these different kinds of Buddhist practices, whether it's with, um, you know, martial arts or using it in your daily life, they really suit me because I feel comfortable. I really do feel now just being able to relax with other people and not have that voice going on. That's all that talk in your mind that's going on doesn't actually help you see things the way they are. It just shows how you can get very obsessed in a, in a negative way. And when you meet someone who actually can guide you by being, just seeing what your potential goodness is, it is very powerful. It's very moving. Also, I felt like I got less needy mm-hmm. when I started to understand what my teacher and the Dalai Lama was teaching us, that mm-hmm. it is, it's not so much that you need their approval. So you have a great teachers in your life, and now you've been a teacher to others. When you see them suffering, how do you approach them who might be in a place of loss of love, family, or romantic relationship, or even like a self-love? If they ask a question, the main thing is I try to find out about them, where they're coming from, and just listen to them. In this country, we always say, hey, how are you? How's it going? And mm-hmm. then nobody listens. You know, they know they <laughs> really want the answer. They just say that. Yes. <laughs> But if you actually take the time, because I remember mm-hmm. once I was in England and a friend of mine said, so how are you? And then she didn't say anything else. And I started crying. <gasps> I really wanted to know. <laughs> and I thought, this is really an incredible thing. She really wanted to know how I was. And I, and I you felt it I like felt a vibration. Mm. Yeah. And I thought, this is so beautiful. I want to be able to do that. I can tell like sometimes if a student is having a hard time, especially in the meditation classes, when I can open it up and ask a question and I know that they're having a hard time and letting them 
asked a question in relation to one of the practices, just listening to them talk about what they've discovered about themselves from the practice is really, really powerful. Because I think a lot of times people are lonely and they just need to be heard. Mm-hmm. And they, and, but they need a safe place mm-hmm. to be able to say it because they've held it back for mm-hmm. so long. So if during a class I can offer, because usually the questions that come up in a Buddhist meditation or a beginning Buddhism class are about your emotions mm-hmm. and how you respond to others with them. It is possible to listen, especially when they might have an assignment like, um, well, tell me how you did during the week when I asked you to check and see if you ever got angry. What happened? We're talking about the causes that might bring you suffering. If you know that there are six of them, that you fall into one of those categories during the week. And it is amazing. People will say when they feel safe that, oh, I realized I got angry at my children. And then I thought, why am I getting angry at them? It's because they got into a fight and they didn't resolve it fast enough for me. And then I thought, well, that, that's me. It's not really the kids. This one woman said, I, I realized that I always go into a situation wanting to persuade other people to come to my view. I was too proud. And, and then I didn't say anything. I just asked that person about them. And it was the most incredible tea I had with this person because I learned so much about her by not trying to impose what I wanted to get mm-hmm. from it. That makes me really happy mm-hmm. when I hear mm-hmm. these kinds of revelatory mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. where people feel like they are able to see how you fall into a pattern and how you might be able to extricate yourself from it gradually, because it doesn't happen quickly either. You've had years of habits of responding to things. I, sometimes I think of whenever I go into a new class, I'm like a little kid again. Oh, there's a test at the end of the class? Ooh. <laughs> it's kind of, it takes a really, really long time mm-hmm. to try to see if you can be with yourself as you are now. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, when you realize, oh, it's really important to be kind to myself as well. Don't be so hard on myself. We tend to do that a lot, too, because of this being told indirectly, you're not good enough, and this kind of poverty mentality, and then making you have low self-esteem, to realize that, oh, actually, deep down, you're a really good person. You just need to find that for yourself. And that's a big challenge. And that's actually what the Tibetan say is being a Buddhist, is mm-hmm. nangpa, is being the looking inside to find out who you really are. Like God is within you. Yeah. So as a teacher, what you do is to give them a safe space. Yes. Then yeah. they find out their own way. Yeah. Do you have any advice what to do to the, someone who is struggling to mm. find a space? I think that what I've started to see is um, the sense of home is here in yourself. Yes. So it's developing this ability to be okay with yourself. Mm. If you don't feel safe to figure out why you're not comfortable with yourself, I think as I felt for a long time when I was very uneasy about things, 
my head was always felt like there were too many thoughts. So there was never a place to settle. I felt like I didn't like myself. That's very hard to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And then it's trying to take apart what is it that you didn't like. Mm-hmm. And the more you're trying to identify what is it that I don't like about myself? Mm-hmm. Is it the shape of my eyes because some kid belittled it? But there's another part of the world where my eyes might actually, people might like them because I got too scared to answer a question. Is that why I I don't feel safe with myself? Because how, in a way, isn't that very sad that I can't take the time to look into that? That's the hardest part if you don't feel safe. Uh, One of the teachers I've started to study with now, he begins every meditation practice or every class with how wonderful it is that I have taken the time out in my life to learn more about myself. Then as the dedication for the end of it, after your practice or at the end of the day, you say, may we have joy that I took the time today, even if I messed up during the day and got mad at someone, but at least I took the time to feel, try to figure out what's going on with myself. Mm -hmm. I think we tend not to give ourselves the space to realize that home is right here. So find a safe home within you. Yes. Instead of looking out from something else or somebody else. And I think the better you feel about yourself because you see someone smile at you because Mm -hmm. you smiled at them, Mm -hmm. I think it's very incremental. It's like little, little steps. It's not a big, big thunderbolt that boom. Oh, I feel like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, you might notice it maybe a, um, a few months later, a year later, thinking, "Oh, actually, I don't have those old thoughts anymore." I think I read or um, heard this before. Just to buy one flower for yourself. Yes, I was just curious. Geez, your teacher was so incredible about. Don't be strange. <laughs> you know, do you have those, like, uh, your thing? Um, I don't know if I have my own things, but I did feel that I want to share all the things that he told me because they were so simple that they're really, really profound. And then I also realized when he passed away that he's very strongly within me. And just also deciding, you know, what kind of Buddhist are you really? What kind of person are you really? How much are you really looking into yourself to be a benefit and have a purpose in life? Well, I'm finding it gradually how to be a grown up by having him not there that I can go over and have him squeeze my hand to make me feel good. He gave me all the tools. One of his best ways of teaching was he'd say, Oh, why don't you think about it? And I'll think about it and we'll meet next week and let's talk about it. He did that so often Mm -hmm. that I realized he actually never gave me any advice about a particular question, but his mind was so spacious and calm Mm -hmm. that I I left there just feeling so happy. That would be a really nice gift to be able Mm -hmm. to give someone else, Mm -hmm. that peace of mind of 
Yes. Well, isn't it true? If you have a question, and if someone else, even though he's a respected teacher, how many titles, but once it came from other person's words, it's not really yours. I mean, you can learn from it, but you have to have own experience to know what it is. So that's why probably he didn't speak. By the time he said, I will think about it, let's meet next time. But you already thinking your own answer. He just gave you this space space for you. Yeah. And I think um, I learned a lot about being a teacher from him. He had a real ability to convey things in a very ordinary way. Also, he was really funny. A lot of times we forget and uh, laughter opens your mind. Tibetans regularly say little funny jokes while they're teaching you and you're laughing and you're able to take in more. What I'm learning and still not so good at is just learning to relax more with other people and valuing that they're there, especially for Buddhism. I was really scared. It seemed like such a huge topic. Then I realized, oh, actually, I have quite a lot to give because of what my teacher gave me. That's how some of the high Buddhist teachings begin, is that the main teacher will say, well, I got this from my teacher, and then they go all the way back to the Mm -hmm. Buddha. So many times when you've had something horrible happen, after you get over the worst of it, you think, well, actually, that made me do this and this, and it's changed everything, and it's so much better. Maybe, like you said, came to the bottom and laughed about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we came to the bottom. (laughs) (laughs) And something might sparkle and start to be building up. I think that is how life is. So if someone is suffering right now, you know the pain and now you know how other people's pain. You can see from the other person you had such a difficult time. They might know from how you're being empathetic with them by being willing to listen to someone else's pain and having this wish to remove their suffering, which is compassion. That can help. A lot. It helps settle you and it helps settle the other person. You learned through the Buddhism teaching, own experience, and of course, great teachers. But now you are in the position spreading your learning experience to others. Well, we need more people like you. Well, I think I'm so happy to be able to talk to you today. To oh, talk thank you so that. much. Yeah, I got a little nervous about it, actually. (laughs) Oh, my. I know you've been having many speeches in front of those famous people and all that, but I'm kind of relieved to know that even you can get nervous. (laughs) I I get nervous very easily. If I don't get nervous, I have to be very careful. (laughs) Regina's mind, right? Yeah. (laughs) Unconditional love. That's what I heard today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Let's Open the Box of Zen with Hitomi. We hope today's episode has helped you transcend your limiting beliefs and bring Zen into your heart. Tune in next week for more helpful tips. We'll see you soon.